Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. I'm Tobias, and I'm here again with Yusip Oine. What's up? Hey, Toby. So big news today. I switched to oat milk. Oh um, no, I yes. have news related to coffee as well, because I know this is going to be about coffee. <laughs> oh yeah, so uh, I quit drinking milk uh, maybe two, three years ago. And perhaps for somebody not based in the Nordics, milk is a big thing here. So everybody drinks a lot of milk. It's it's a big industry and there's, there's a lot of this sort of uh, educational content, why milk is good for you. And somebody said to me, perhaps five years ago, um, a guy I know, he was raised in a farm. He said to me that you see, you do know that milk was invented to, to make the cows and the calves fat. And I was like, well, no, I didn't really know this, but now I apparently do know. And that stuck to me. So three years ago, I figured I can actually just quit with milk. I don't need to drink milk anymore. I can, I can. Uh, prepare and cook food that has milk in it. But let, let me try to cut down on that. And the last bastion where I still held on to my milk was my morning cappuccino and my afternoon coffee. So two, three days ago, I switched to oat milk fully. And it took me a while to find a good brand that doesn't taste horrible. I found this, this specific one. I think it's Swedish though. And I've been enjoying it quite quite a bit, especially now in the morning cappuccino. I was expecting it to be not that good, but it's almost exactly the same. It's less fatty, but it's slightly more sweet. So that sort of compensates. So this is the big change in my life. I'm, I've, I've switched to oat milk. I really don't have any need for milk anymore. How about for you? So on, on that note, I have some relevant things that I'm doing. First of all, interesting that you're using a Swedish brand of oat milk because I'm using a Finnish branch <laughs> brand <laughs> for my oat milk. Um, and I've also been been drinking oat milk to my coffee for a couple of years. I tried some almond milk uh, as well, but yeah, oat milk is, it tastes pretty good. It has this kind of creamy um, taste to it. So I, I like to have that in my coffee, but related to coffee, I've been going now five days without coffee and I feel great. I didn't have any real issues with coffee as such, but I do get even better sleep because maybe I had a lot of coffee in the evenings. You know, I can only blame myself, but, you know, cutting the coffee off entirely, then for obvious reasons, I don't have coffee in the evening. So better sleep. My stomach is uh, happier with me, but foremost, uh, the fact that I start to really overconsume coffee, I could have two or three cups in the morning, uh, then just before lunch, maybe after lunch, Preferably after work in the evening, I would also have a cup because um, I got these expensive, nice high-end coffee machines and I wanted to use them. And it kind of became a craft rather than, it was not the cup of coffee really that, that kind of allured. It was making the coffee that I was excited about, but I didn't want to make a coffee and then there was nobody who was going to drink it. So nobody else in the house wanted to have a coffee in the evening. So I had it. So at some point that kind of tipped over and I had a well, maybe over-consuming a little bit of, of the coffee. 
So now five days without coffee, uh, I'm going to try and go a month just to see if there's any kind of long-term effect on sleep and stuff like that. But yeah, I feel pretty great. So I only miss the, the craftsmanship of making a really good espresso, but I, yeah, I can, I can do that with decaf, I guess. I, I normally try to cut off caffeine for one month each year and that's January for me. And after five days, I feel great. But after two, three weeks, I sort of start craving for the smell of the coffee beans and, and the feeling with caffeine and all that. And by February 1st, I'm back to coffee and I do enjoy it. So I cut down on coffee at the same time when I cut down on milk a couple of years ago. So now I do one cup of coffee, one cappuccino in the morning and one regular cup of coffee after lunch. And that's it. And I, I feel this is this is the bare minimum I need in order to function properly. Yeah, that sounds like a good balance. So today's episode, Linux on Windows with WSL2. So this is awfully specific, but this is super interesting at the same time. So let's get started because I think not everybody in the audience are intimately familiar with WSL2 or WSL1. My, myself included. So yeah. I'm going to hammer some questions your way. Please, please do. <laughs> so, so some basics first. WSL stands for Windows Subsystem for Linux. And this always takes me back to the time when we had NT4 and it was POSIX compliant and you could compile the Sigwin uh, Unix Linux tools and run them on the command prompt and it was super messy. It sort of worked, but not really, no. Nobody wanted to do that, but it was more like a tick a box that we support these things. So now with Windows Subsystem for Linux, the initial release was all the way back in 2016. So if you go back to those old blog entries and, and we'll put the link in the show notes, if you go back to those old blog entries from 2016, there's super detailed plans on, on how this was envisioned. But what's relevant today is the WSL2 was uh, released in 2019 and it became generally available with Windows 10 2004 update. So that would be the April 2020 update that we got about six months ago. So, so does it come like baked into Windows 10 or do you have to enable it? You have to enable it. You have to have some, some bits and uh, pieces in place and you have to configure it. You have to download stuff, but it's built in to Windows 10 now, if you are on a certain level, let's get back to that in a minute. So why should you care WSL2? The thing is, it allows you to run your preferred Linux distributions on top of Windows 10. That's the idea. But this isn't emulation. So WSL1 was a sort of an emulation that it ran on a Hyper-V VM and whatever you would do in a Linux shell running on Windows 10, it would emulate through the virtual machine. And there, there was this performance hit. And many people that started using WSL1 at the time, they felt that, okay, this is nice and neat and cute, but this is too slow to actually give me anything. So this is a tech demo mostly. And with WSL2, it actually is not emulating anything anymore. So what Microsoft did, they built a lightweight Linux kernel that once enabled, it, it spins up in a hypervisor 
it's not a regular Hyper-V VM, so you really cannot access that as is, but it then enables you to utilize a real Linux distribution that has full system call compatibility with Linux that runs on this lightweight Linux distribution, lightweight Linux kernel that actually is made by Microsoft. Right. And so, so what can I do with, with this? So I understand that with version two here, it's running in this hypervisor and I can have this kind of side-by-side -side or access, accessible from my windows. Why would I want to do that versus using PowerShell or my whatever command line that I'm using today? So if you want to continue using PowerShell, uh, the command prompt, the Windows terminal that uses Azure CLI or something else, please do so. They are very valid. But if your workload, if you do development on top of Linux, then you often resort to using uh, a number of Linux tools and binaries and capabilities and services. And WSL2 gives you support for Linux binaries and more specifically ELF64 type of binaries. So when you open your WSL2 instance, let's say you open a Linux shell and that might be on bash. It gives you a real Linux shell that allows you to compile your code, run grep and sed and Perl and Python and cat and less and tail and all these fancy tools that we've had on Linux for a couple of decades already. And the benefit is that it's super fast. So instead of spinning up your custom Linux VM and running that sort of in a separate window, now what you can do is you run your Linux distribution in a lightweight kernel and it can access the resources from your host machine, meaning your Windows 10. So you can map and mount drives you can access from Windows 10 to the Linux distro and the Linux distro can access your Windows 10 files. Right, so, and, it's, a, so it's a full Linux distro that you just run kind of side by side or accessible then from Windows 10. So it's not limited to executing just commands from the command line in bash. I saw some people writing some blog posts about that. And uh, the takeaway that I had was you, you get a command prompt in bash and you can execute Linux commands. But in reality, you actually get a full Linux distro running and you can do whatever you can do in, in that distro you can do uh, now directly from Windows, right? Exactly. And I feel especially people who have their, their development and deployment work happening in a Linux or a variant of Unix. Let's say you have a MacBook and you do most of your stuff in a terminal. Now you should be able to lift those workloads and run those in WSL2 and utilize Windows 10. That's one, one opportunity. There's more though, what you can do, and let's come back to those in a second. Uh, a nice piece of information that I found out when I was configuring WSL2 for the first time is that you can have a number of Linux distributions. So once the system is configured, then you can choose to have one instance of Ubuntu, one instance of Kali Linux, one instance of something else. And you can have these different uh, distros side by side at the same time without spinning up manually and doing the whole configuration of Linux for each one of those. So installing uh, WSL and WSL2, it's not tricky. 
but especially in, on my Windows 10, it took a couple of tries to get it working. So there's a requirement to have Windows 10 1903 build 18362, so 18,362 or higher. So that's over a year old. So typically your Windows 10 would probably run now 2004, uh, some, some more recent build. So that's enough. Then you need to enable a Windows subsystem for Linux from, from Windows 10 features. And you also need to enable virtual machine feature in Windows 10 features. So click these two boxes, click next, 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 and then you need to reboot to enable everything. And if everything went well, meaning the, the virtualization is working now, then you can download a Linux kernel update package first. And this is where it failed for me. I downloaded the update package, click next. It says this is not applicable to your system. And the solution for me was to get rid of everything. Uninstall WSL, the virtual machine feature, the Hyper-V, everything, then reboot and do it again. And once this is done, you run WSL from the command prompt with dash dash set default version two. So this opts for the newer version, which is totally different from WSL one. And now finally, you can go to Microsoft store, search for Linux, choose whatever distribution you'd like to use. For me, it's often Ubuntu, click next, download, and you're good to go. Right. So after you've enabled and, and kind of installed, uh, like you mentioned, you go to these features in Windows 10, you enable them, enable the, the WSL and then the virtual machine feature, reboot your machine, set the default version to version two, if that's what you want to use, you head on over to the store and then you can just select any distro readily available from the store and you click the button and you have it running, right? Exactly. And Pretty slick. And the kernel that WSL2 uses, that's been open source. So that's available on GitHub. And if you prefer to use something else, there, there's about six or seven different distros available now. But if you have your own special distro you'd like to use, you can sideload that. But in order for that to happen, you need to have this launcher built that supports your Linux distro. So there's a project for that on GitHub as well. Let's put the link in the show notes. So you need to modify that to support your custom Linux distro, and then you can spin it up. And the whole reason for this, as I found out, is that you can now more easily run Linux more close to metal instead of this additional Hyper-V sort of layer in between that needs to emulate a lot of the things that you would do from Linux. So this is as if you would boot your machine to Linux and use it from there, but you would also have Windows 10 on the side that you could access. Right. So one thing that I like about this and, and that I kind of tried out just a little bit is that I develop, maintain and operate a lot of containers. One of the things that I had as a challenge in the past is kind of ensuring that you know, in theory, a container behaves exactly the same wherever you deploy it. But in reality, different variables and different things on the host system may or may not be available, like networking on a, on a Windows box might differ from networking on a Linux box. And different Linux distributions might have different settings and configs and whatever. So depending on how the host was configured, the container behaved differently because the container itself uh, used things from the host in order to operate successfully. Now with this, it's easier for me to set that scenario up 
knowing that if I'm going to run it on Debian or whatever, I pull that down and I throw my containers in there and then I can see how they behave on a real distro, but still running on my machine without, you know, having to deploy this to the cloud and, and do the full circle. So that's pretty sweet. That's exactly how it works. And what was news to me with WSL2 is that if you want to create your custom containers and do your custom development on Windows 10, what you typically do is you download Docker desktop that allows you to run containers locally. And this is required for Visual Studio 2019 as well. But what Docker desktop now does, it utilizes the WSL2 backend. There's a, there's a checkbox which is enabled by default. And then Docker desktop is not setting up a Hyper-V virtual machine to run itself, but it's actually deploying its own Linux distro as part of WSL2, just like you would do with Ubuntu or, or Debian or something else. And now when you want to run containers on Windows 10 with Docker desktop, it actually utilizes the WSL2 capabilities so that the containers are lightning fast now. And I set out to try this. And my use case was that I'm running my own blog on WordPress and that's in a hosted environment. So it's not on Azure. Uh, and sometimes I need to test things. I need to get all of my content. I perhaps might want to change the theme or some settings, but I don't want to do that in the daytime when I have users reading my content. So what I did is I provisioned two containers, one for WordPress and one for MySQL for the database. And then I configured WordPress and then I imported all of my content in there. And in order to do that with Docker desktop, you simply create two containers, pull the default images for MySQL and WordPress, and it's up and running. So, so everything is automatically managed for you in order to have those containers running. And what I can now do is I can use Visual Studio Code to remotely, even if I'm still on the same machine, but I can remotely manage those containers running my workloads utilizing Docker Desktop and WSL2. So these two technologies, Docker and WSL2, they are now quite tightly coupled together if you choose to do so. Yeah, and this is pretty sweet. And now when you mentioned that, I, I recall that I, I have been using Docker Desktop and WSL2 as well. And I, I had a seamless upgrade from, I, I think I was based, I don't know if I was based on VirtualBox or the, the Hyper-V edition at the time. And, and then I just seamlessly moved to WSL2 after enabling the features. And I think I got a question in the Docker Desktop. Do you want to use this, the, the subsystem version two? Sure. All right, we're doing that now. Then you can reboot and you're done. So that was a pretty seamless upgrade and, and an easy way as well to uh, yeah, get started with, with my containers on the kind of more close to native uh, Linux disks. Uh, if you have this setup up and running, when you type on a command prompt, when you type WSL-L-V, then you can see what do you have running? You might have Ubuntu, then you have a Docker desktop and you have something called Docker desktop data. And the latter one is where Docker desktop stores all the, all the data it needs. And Docker desktop is the instance that spins up your containers. And of course, when you then have your containers running, 
you use Docker command, like Docker images, Docker PS and whatnot to see what your containers are doing. So for me, it was a bit unclear at first that, okay, I'm doing containers, but do I have to use WSL2? But since I have it, why not? And the whole purpose here is that now Windows 10 offers these sort of performance and IO capabilities for Docker desktop so that my containers can better leverage everything that I have running on my workstation without me needing to emulate a lot of the things that gives often a performance hit on a lot of the usual things that I need to do. All right, sounds good. So is there anything else I need to know? Like what's the, what's the main takeaways for me to if I want to go and play around with these things now? So the main takeaway is that if you have WSL1 running, you can have WSL2 running side by side. So you can have both versions at the same time. And also if you have Windows 10, but nothing configured, it's super easy to configure WSL2, try it out. If you have no need for it, just disable the feature. Also, if you choose to do anything with containers now, then just go with WSL2 first, then Docker Desktop, and you're good to go with any tools you choose to use, because you can always spin up the containers, work with them directly through Docker or Visual Studio, Visual Studio Code, or then you can simply use WSL2 and manage those containers from a different Linux distro against those Linux-based containers you're running on Docker Desktop. And I, I did a quick test. I had the WordPress and MySQL running and I put some content in there, made sure they're both up and running and connecting properly. And then I used uh, Docker stats to see how much memory and CPU those two containers were consuming. And the WordPress was taking 55 megs and MySQL was taking about 150 megs. And that's all there was. And WSL2 took care of all the rest. So definitely something to, to look into if you haven't. And so is there um, any reason why, uh, why I wouldn't want to stay on WSL2 or wouldn't want to upgrade or there's, that is the future. There is no need to stay on the past editions. There are some edge use cases that, especially if you reinvested with some custom scripting or custom development on WSL1, perhaps check it, that that works in two. But since you can have those side by side, it's not a problem. Another thing that you cannot yet do, you cannot run graphical apps in WSL2 or WSL1 for the matter. So that's coming. I found a blog post saying that, okay, they're testing it now. Here's a screenshot. It's looking promising, but it will take a couple of more months to, to have that land in one of the insider preview builds with Windows 10. And what's already available though, is that if you have a GPU on your host, you can use GPU acceleration to do machine learning. So TensorFlow and CUDA ML workflows are both supported with WSL2. All right, cool. So I would encourage anybody to try this out since I do most of the things that I, I work with, I do from a Windows terminal running the plain old Windows command prompt. But now just using this for a couple of days to fiddle with containers mostly, I find myself opening Windows terminal now and typing WSL to hop to my Linux and then do the things from there even if I could do some of the things from Windows 10 at the same time. So we'll put the um, 
the installation guidance, the side loading thing, as well as the Docker desktop details in the show notes. And best of all, this is free of charge. So Docker desktop doesn't cost you anything. WSL2 is part of Windows 10. So if you have a license for Windows 10, you are good to go. All right. Sounds good. Alrighty. So this was all we had on WSL2, Linux and Windows. Thanks again for tuning in and until next time. All right. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.